Hello, you're listening to Renaissance Man, a podcast featuring my father, Philip Brunel, as he talks about the world of music. So, we're here in your office. Yes. And you're at your, what is this, a little uh, spinet? A little spinet, a little Steinway spinet. For, just for checking things when you need to... Just once in a while when I have to do a little, you know, check a little spot, or I've got a singer here and they want to hear what something sounds like, or we're trying to figure out what key I need to play and accompany them, you know, any of those kinds of things. Yeah. Helpful to have a piano. Very much. Right. Um, and we're coming up now. At, uh, Thanksgiving is tomorrow. Yep. We're bringing the cranberries and the Brussels sprouts and some salad. And you and Carolyn are doing the turkey and the mashed potatoes. You mean Carolyn is doing the turkey and the mm. mashed potatoes. You're opening the wine. I'm doing that. I was glad to help, but she said no. She preferred to take care of those things. So I will, of course, bring the Thanksgiving quiz. Oh, I see. right. Now, how, are you, how have you done so far preparing for that? It is ready. It's done. It's done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how many years have you been doing the Thanksgiving quiz? Oh, maybe 40. Yeah. You, you like a good trivia quiz. I do. I yeah. do like a good trivia. And this one will be about Thanksgiving. So so are you one of those people, um, maybe this is apropos to the topic at hand, but when, technically, when does the, the Christmas season begin? I mean, if you worked at Target, it, it already started right after, you know. Too soon. Too soon. For you, when does it begin? Well, for me, it begins when Advent begins. So there are four Sundays in Advent, and it begins really with that first Sunday and goes all the way up to Christmas and then on into January, because after Christmas, then you have Epiphany, and that takes you all the way through January. I see. And um, so it's sort of two months worth of mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. And And how do you define... Uh, how do you segment all of the musical choices that you have to make as as a church choir director, as a church organist, uh, as a you are this music director of Plymouth Church? You're somewhat overseeing children's choirs and handbell choirs and your own choir, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How do you define quote the Christmas season in musical terms? Well, I try to say that the music that uh, we are singing during Advent is really music of expectation, music that would be telling the story about the coming of Christ, uh, as opposed to when you get to Christmas and then it is Christ has, has been born and now we're doing music about the birth Uh, about the angels, and then we move on from there uh, into January when we have the wise men appearing and all of that. So there's sort of different seasons. Now, 
when you get very close to the Sunday right before Christmas, then with the children singing and doing their their various anthems, those become, you know, much more into Christmas itself. And that's fine. So, but that's kind of generally where we do it. When I started doing Welcome Christmas concerts with Vocal Essence years ago, um, <clears throat> we called it Welcome Christmas because in those days, I'm saying 25 years ago, there really weren't a lot of groups doing Christmas programs early in December. Hmm. Now, however, everybody starts right after Thanksgiving, so it really doesn't matter what time you're doing a program. There mm -hmm. are others doing it, so there's lots of competition for people's time. Mm -hmm. In your mind, what constitutes success, and it's sort of a business term, but what constitutes success for Christmas music and the season in general? I'm asking you as you're a choir director, you're a church organist, February rolls around, the dust has settled on yet another Christmas season. What makes a, a, a Christmas music season successful in your mind? Well, of course, there is so much music that is out there. So finding, for me, um, a wonderful blend of the possibilities of music that are, pe are pieces of music that will uh, engage an audience, uh, that will engage a choir, and that will engage me, all of those become really part of what makes Christmas a very wonderful and special time, a season that I love. So that gives us a sense of the, the broad the broad strokes of the Christmas season. Um, so as a music director, as a choir director, organist, when do you start planning for the next Christmas season? I begin, I would say, probably roughly about a year and a half before that season. So wait, it's Christmas 2018, so you're telling me that in... Well, I'm telling you that it's Christmas right now, 2018. Christmas 2019 is pretty well set. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking about and pulling music for Christmas 2020. Really? Yeah. Why? Why on earth do you need to be so prepared so far ahead? The reason I do it is that I am hoping by selecting music this far in advance, I have time for it to settle in and I can decide now with that much lead time, hmm, maybe this particular piece isn't the right one and I have time to make a change. But if I do all of this just in the course of a couple months in advance, it's too late to do a change because you have to order the music, you have to begin rehearsing it, and you wouldn't have the time to make the kind of programming that I want to do. And people think of me as, you know, a insightful programmer who's really looking at it. But you can only do that if you start planning far enough in advance, which is why I begin thinking about what I'm going to do for Christmas, usually about a year and a half. And 
some of the music that I've chosen for Christmas for 2019. I may make a few changes in that, and that's okay. But at least I've got the basic structure and I've got the plan all worked out. When you, when you talk about a, a structure, what do you mean by that? I just mean that you have to figure, okay, if you talk about the church, I've got four Sundays in Advent. So how have I worked those out so that I have a variety of repertoire? I'm not doing all Mendelssohn. I'm not doing all Baroque. I'm not doing all music written in the last five years. I'm trying to have a real interesting variety so that people who come to Plymouth Church are going to each Sunday hear over the course of those four weeks and then over Christmas Eve and the Sunday after are going to hear a really interesting variety of music for the Christmas season. Hmm. Okay. And um, so you, you, set, you kind of set a theme and you allow it to kind of percolate. You allow it to kind of rest and you return to it and you react to it. Right. And you might adjust and change. Um, aside from selecting music and a selecting themes and thinking about this, this structure, how do you uh, operationalize or how do you start thinking about when do things need to be rehearsed um, and performed and how are you thinking about hiring instrumentalists and all of that? Well, the Plymouth Church Choir is a fabulous group of singers, but even so, they need rehearsal. And so every anthem during the year, whether it's Christmas or some other season, every anthem needs time to rehearse. And it depends a little bit on the piece, of course. Some pieces are really very easy, but they still need a minimum of three weeks of rehearsal to settle in. And some pieces need six or seven weeks, depending on their difficulty, or if it's something that they've never sung before, and it's just something that needs time to really get inside everyone's voice so that by the time they perform it, it's going to be terrific. Okay. And um, how do you decide on, I mean, I know you've got your soloists and things, but how do you decide, well, this Sunday needs an alto solo, and then so therefore the next Sunday needs a tenor solo. Does that play any part in, or, you know, we need trumpets this year and French horns next right. year or vibraphone the, the year after? Well, I don't necessarily do it with instruments that way. I choose the repertoire, and of course I try to make sure that it isn't that every Sunday has to have a soprano solo in it. But I try to have variety. But there are often times where there may be uh, a month of, of anthems that don't have any solos in them. They just simply are pieces for the choir to sing. And then if I'm looking ahead, I think, hmm, I wonder if there's something uh, that might be involved. If Lynn Asness tells me she's going to be in Minneapolis, over Christmas time, then I'm going to just say, ha, ah, a harp, great. I can use it for the prelude and postlude, but let's see if there's an anthem that also has harp that we can use. So you have to kind of look at the situation, figure out what you've got, who would like to perform, and then uh, find music. And that's why I'm saying, if you've planned it far enough in advance, you can then make some switches and some changes because you already have the basic structure in place. What's the what's the hardest part of planning and rehearsing and performing uh, a Christmas season at a church? What's what's the struggle no one but you is aware of? 
there are too many good choices of music. That's the big challenge. I mean, you know, if we could have, uh, if we could have a, a Sunday service uh, for uh, 24 days in a row, wow, think of all the music, but I can't. So then I have to think, oh, I really would love to do this piece, but I've already got this other piece that I'm going to do, and then there's this one. So some things are going to have to wait for another year. Mm -hmm. So I think the big challenge for me is just figuring out what's a wonderful balance of music, also a wonderful balance of text, and how do I make that all work so that every year Christmas and Advent are special for everyone, the singers, for the congregation, and for me. Well, that, that begs the question. So how, when you're making these choices and you're thinking about texts of pieces of music and you're thinking about sort of the emotive quality of pieces of music and kind of the place, the role that they play in the sequencing of a service, how do you engage with the ministers and the worship leaders? And when do you engage with them? I give them a list of all the music um, at the beginning of September. And that list is everything that the choir is going to sing through December. And so they have this list if they want to consult it and look at it. Some ministers are more interested in long-range planning than others. That's just the nature of what we have. So, But they have the list, so we can talk about uh, it might be, ooh, you're doing this one on the third Sunday in Advent. Do you mind switching it to the second Sunday? And, of course, what I try to do is that since this choir sings two anthems every Sunday, I want to make sure that one anthem might be more challenging for them to learn so that it's not two challenging anthems every week and you just need more time to let these things settle in. Mm -hmm. uh, do, do they have veto power over pieces of music? No, not over the pieces of music. Uh, and I have to tell you, in 50 years, I've never had a situation with ministers where this was a problem. We do talk about the hymns and which hymns seem to make sense. I will choose the hymns, but of course, whoever is the preaching minister can come to me and say, I really need to have a different hymn, and that's fine. We'll make that adjustment. Hmm. All right. Um, so let's assume that um, you were brought in to, to coach someone who is new to their role as a music director at, at a church. I mean, you, you started kind of in the fall here at Plymouth 50 years ago. What was it, August or September? So you had a couple of months. You obviously didn't have a year and a half to prep that first Christmas season. So I'm thinking, put yourself in the shoot, knowing what you know. Put yourself in the shoes of someone who is arriving at a church in the fall and Christmas is coming up. It's their first season. What advice do you have? Well, when I came here 50 years ago, it was in the summer. I didn't start till September, but I began by looking over all the bulletins from the years before. I did say about 10 or 20 years of bulletins. What had they been singing? Not only uh, at Christmas, but in the fall. So I began to get an idea of what pieces got repeated, what they knew, and I had some information so that when I began in September, I did have a list of anthems 
that went all the way through December, and we knew what we were going to do. But so, so you did some, essentially some data digging. You did some research Absolutely. to get a sense of this congregation. And it's... I would suggest that for anyone coming into a congregation to find out what have they been doing. Uh, not that you have to repeat it, but at least it gives you an idea of where they have been, and then you can kind of figure out where they're going to go. So, for instance, when I came, I found that they had not done a lot of music that was contemporary in the sense of having been composed in the last 10 years. So I felt that they needed to do more of that because they needed to build up their sight reading skills. And so we did a number of anthems that were new to them, but we also did anthems that were part of their history and things that were beloved by the congregation. Hmm. So 50 years, you've been here a long time. Do you have any, any outstanding Christmas seasons, any, any recollections of uh, noteworthy moments of, of Christmas seasons past? Well, I think Christmas here has been a very beloved time and people have certain anthems and certain carols that they have enjoyed. Um, the very first Christmas Eve here was memorable because we had a rehearsal. I thought we were going to do We Three Kings as a processional. And we, I, the choir came early to rehearse that. And they were going to come in from the two front doors process in the side aisle to the back and come down the center aisle. And I had it all worked out that the solo of each verse would work out that they would be within the congregation, not out in the back narthex. However, my alto soloist was at a family gathering and didn't show up for this rehearsal. And she was leading the one side of the choir. So therefore, when the service began and this procession began, she led half of the choir. They came in the door and instead of turning and going up the aisle, they went straight ahead, which brings you to a wall. And then you have to walk through a bunch of people sitting in a pew mm -hmm. and saying, excuse me, as you're singing We Three Kings, <laughs> and then go up. Well, anyway, uh, let's just say it didn't work out. And uh, when the choir all eventually came up into the choir loft, and I knew nothing about what had happened. All I knew is that these solos were happening out in the narthex and what was going wrong. <laughs> and then I heard about it, and they all had big smiles on their face. So later I found out what had gone on. And uh, yeah, that was a memorable first year here. Yeah. Any other bloopers? We haven't lit anybody on fire with candles or... No, um, we did, of course, one year with Vocal Essence, I would do Welcome Christmas, and uh, one year I had this idea about 25 years ago that people didn't want to just hear Christmas music in December, which uh, is a big mistake, because that is what they want to hear. And so I, one year, uh, down at Orchestra Hall, we did a piece uh, by Honegger called Joan of Arc at the Stake. And people came 
trying to figure out what this had to do with Christmas time. And uh, we finished the piece. And I mean, it had nothing to do with Christmas. And uh, afterward, I do remember Vern Sutton's wife, Phyllis, uh, saying to Vern, you know, I couldn't figure out what this had to do with Christmas, except maybe uh, Philip was thinking of the burning of the Yule log. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, which, of course, I wasn't. But anyway, that was the <laughs> only year that we did not do Christmas music during December. Mm-hmm. So when was the first time that you, obviously as a boy soprano, when did you perform for your first Christmas? Do you recall? I was four. And uh, I was a boy soprano, and I sang. Oh, I was one of my calling cards was a piece called "The Holy City," mm. and another one was a piece called "The Birthday of a King." And so I would be trotted out uh, to sing this for churches or for oh, all kinds of women's organizations, um, yeah. all kinds of things. My mother was, of course, my accompanist, mm -hmm. and uh, this was. And so for every year, I sang until I was 13, and my voice changed, and I overnight became a bass. So that was the end of those uh, those mm -hmm. years of singing. So how is the, how is the role of music director evolved for you regarding the Christmas season over these last 50 years? I mean, what what it from 50 years ago today? What have you kind of streamlined, and what what have you have you, have you gotten rid of certain practices, or were you always planning eighteen months in advance? Like, how, how has that changed? That has not changed because I'm always looking for new music. I'm interested in talking to composers to see if they have new pieces they want to share. Uh, I also am looking at music from the past. And uh, it might be something that we did 10 years ago, and I'm thinking, it's time to bring that mm, piece back. Yeah. Or it might be a piece by, say, Benjamin Britten that we've never done, or a piece by Mendelssohn that we haven't done. So I don't want to just be doing new pieces, but I've also found certain pieces. Uh, there's a piece by Mark Surrett called Thou Shalt Know Him that is so beautiful, and I don't want too many years to go by before repeating that piece. The same, there's a Shepherd's Carol by Bob Chilcott that, you know, you really want to hear. You don't, you don't want to do it every year, but you surely want to do it every few years. And the same with certain pieces of John Rutter. So there are some traditions that you want. And at the same time around that, you want to build an opportunity to have some music that's um, not heard every year. Yeah. So you know, a lot's changed in the in the world in the last 50 years, musically, culturally, in the world of the arts, technology, etc. Does that have any impact on the Christmas season in your mind? You know, do you, does, does the church Christmas music scenario, does that reflect the world around it? Or to what degree do you listen to the world around you and evolve because of, of you talked about contemporary music, which is hopefully thinking Fast. and reacting, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, of course, I would say that in all of these years, we certainly now and I have found 
uh, music that is of a wider ethnic background than I would have done 50 years ago. Uh, 50 years ago, you know, I wouldn't see us doing, say, music of Latin America or music of certain African-American composers. We'd done some, but not as much, or just music that reflects the world. And so I've tried to bring a lot of that kind of music into what people hear at Plymouth Church and what they hear at Vocal Essence. Shifting gears a little bit here, um, you are somewhat notorious for an ability to play, um, I don't know, hundreds of, of Christmas carols on demand without any sheet music. And then you'll even have a conversation with someone standing next to the piano without, it's as if your voice and your head were just disconnected from your hands which continued to play um where did that come from i have no idea i just know that i can uh carry on the conversation and i can also be playing christmas carols and i love christmas carols i mean there's so many that you know they come from all kinds of countries and uh and they're beautiful, and people love to sing them. And uh, well, what what describe the form? So, what is technically a Christmas carol? Well, you have a Christmas carol, and you have a Christmas hymn. A carol originally, back in the Middle Ages, was a song that was meant to be danced to. So, if that's the case, then if you kind of think about them, you'd have a song. Some were sacred, some were secular. If you had a song like that would be a Christmas carol and you can see by that lilt 
that it would have been something that you could dance to, the same way that you could go. That's a Christmas carol. There are so, so that so carol equals kind of has a dance inducing quality yeah Yeah. now what has happened over the years is that some particularly in the 19th century in england some of these carols uh as far as them being taken into the worship service and they were thought to be too secular Mm. and so they were slowed down so that's why find it sung at about that tempo in some churches. Well, that's not a dance tempo. Right. It's not the way it originally was. Right. Right. But then there are other pieces that were never meant to be danced. Things like that was meant to be just a beautiful Christmas hymn mm-hmm. or So you have, you know, you have the hymns, you have the carols, and what I've tried to do is to use both of them uh, here at Plymouth Church in in worship services. Um, there are a couple that are a little tricky. For instance, Silent Night, which originally was taken from a little folk song melody and accompanied by a guitar. So it originally was... had that feeling but then again when it moved into uh, England into the church it became right much slower so I've tried to find a way that isn't quite that slow but maybe is not also a folk song because people on Christmas Eve think about it in a certain reverential way do do Carol does the term the form of a carol, does it have to be Christmas? No, there are. Can you have carols that are that are written about things that happen in August or July or the sure. spring? Or you can have Easter carols. Uh, you could have a carol like. Um, Dutch uh, carol, so you have a thing about Easter that way. No, it could be about any season of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, one that people sing at Christmas is called the Carol of the Bells. But originally, it was not about uh, Christmas at all. It was written, it's Ukrainian, and it was written for... Um, Springtime, actually, it was written for January, anticipating spring, and it was a bird pecking at the window. And so the original temple would be a bird pecking temple. Etc. Hmm. You go on like that. Please oh, yeah. let me in. It is real cold. Please. No. Or... No, no. It was written in Ukrainian. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, and then sometimes melodies or ideas or themes from the secular world 
get co-opted and turn into um, what we might think of as a, a, a as almost like a church-oriented carol. Well, yes, no. Back in 1840, when Felix Mendelssohn was asked to write a cantata for male chorus and brass choir about uh, the 400th anniversary of the printing press and Gutenberg. So mm. he did. He wrote a very stirring piece, uh, you know, uh, which... And everybody loved it, uh, except they didn't think it was going to have a long life because people didn't really want to sing about Gutenberg. Or the, or the printing press. Yeah. There's and not. So then later, 20 years later, someone took his melody mm-hmm. and added the words of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and that became the favorite hymn that people love. Is, is that a common occurrence where... You think of it in terms of the world of jazz, in terms of taking show tunes and turning them into instrumental tunes. But is that common in the world of carols, where someone will take an you know an existing melody and add new lyrics on top of it? It was common to do that in the 1800s when carols were just being discovered. Mm. But it isn't common today. No, you don't see a lot of that. What, so the the um, the institution of going door to door singing carols. Where do you have any sense of where that came from? It was an English uh, tradition going back. Uh, you know, the most famous example of it is where it's talked about in Dickens in his Christmas Carol, and they yeah. talked about a group of carolers coming to Scrooge's door and singing "God Rest You Merry Gentlemen." Right, and uh, there. The, but so the tradition of doing that uh, was something that was very popular in villages during the 1800s. And, uh, you know, it still happens today. I mean, occasionally here at Plymouth, a group, um, a fellowship group will say, let's go carol. And they'll mm-hmm. go to a nursing home or right. they'll go out into uh, uh, a mall and sing, uh, sing Christmas carols. So it's still being done and uh, people love it. Do you have any recommendations for if if we're going to gather a, a group of friends together to sing, you know, 10 to 12, 12 carols, where where would you, what would you recommend? Oh, I would recommend carols that have good four-part harmony so that the sopranos, the altos, the tenors, and the basses can each have a favorite part. I mean, there are some pieces that are more uh, unison in nature, and so those Give, give me an work. example. Uh, well, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Mm-hmm. To, to ask people to kind of harmonize to mm-hmm. that, right. you know, it's sort of... That's <laughs> yeah. what you'd get, yeah. you know. But, of course, that melody was not the melody that was talked about in Dickens' Christmas Carol. No. Because the English didn't sing that melody. They sang another one. different melody which was much more harmonizable Hmm. uh, than what we have so i would just sing find some secular or sacred or a combination of both and so things like for instance deck the hall is really easy very easy to do and by the way it's one hall 
was not a whole bunch of halls. Oh, they didn't deck the halls. No, deck the hall. Deck the hall. Three right. Pounds of holly. Another one, of course, that's beautiful. Silent Night works. Mm. Uh, so does um, Old Little Town of Bethlehem. Mm. I mean, all of these kinds of other ones that don't work. For instance, uh, let's say Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger. It's perfectly fine, but it's really a unison kind of thing. So mm-hmm. to try to harmonize that one, it really uh, it doesn't work mm-hmm. as well, unless it's a professional group that have, have got the music in front of them. start playing Christmas carols at the piano like when did you start putting all of that information into your into your hands oh I must have been a teenager uh, when I you know started because I was accompanying uh, certainly I was accompanying singers and then I was accompanying services at church and so you began uh, playing them and then I realized that I could play um, things uh, by heart mm-hmm. and then I could I added that into it and then of course I always you know loved things like Handel's Messiah so I learned uh, uh, I memorized that and uh, loved to play it so that you know it was uh, it was a lot of different Christmas music but certainly it was probably in my teen years that I began it and it's just never stopped so and so you would get calls in the Christmas season to say, "Hey, can you come play for this gathering?" And yep. we need someone to yep. noodle away at the piano and noodle away and get people to sing. Mm. And so and to talk about Christmas music and some interesting origins about it and yeah, you know. So it it that's where it began. I've never uh, developed that as far as the history of all kinds of pop songs. I know a few of them, right. but I've never really gone into that. But there's so much in the whole Christmas realm of sacred music and and secular uh, things, secular meaning like Deck the Hall mm-hmm. uh, or Here We Come a Wassailing, that, uh, you know, there's plenty to go from. And uh, it's just something I keep trying to increase my um, my knowledge on. So Vocal Essence has been commissioning carols. You've been doing a carol. We call it a carol. It's a carol commissioning contest that we've been doing for 20 years. Why did you start that? Because I wanted people to realize that carols didn't all have to be things from 100 years ago or 200 years ago, but that it's possible to write a carol today. And... uh, so we started this competition and said, 
Can you write something? It could be sacred or secular. Most of them are sacred, but they didn't have to be. And uh, three minutes long, and each year uh, it would be something for choir and a different instrument. Mm -hmm. So one year it was flute, one year it was trumpet. Uh, each year it's you know changed this year. It happens to be oboe. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get entries from all over the United States. I just, at some point, I know you'll get to it, but choir and vibra-slap. It isn't going to happen in the near future. Let's right. just say that. There's enough other instruments first. I think there's a big potential for a Christmas carol that features the vibra-slap. You keep that in your mind, and uh, we'll see if and when it ever happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've commissioned 20. No, we had two winners every year, so we've done 40. Oh, 40. We've done 40. But, of course, Vocal Essence has been commissioning carols for the Witness program and mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. So we've commissioned over 300 pieces now over all these mm -hmm. years. So uh, thinking about the criteria then, you, you put out, you said three minutes. But what other criteria do you look for that, that constitutes uh, a Christmas carol in your mind? What, what makes for success in that space? First of all, is it singable? Mm. There are a lot of people who think they know how to write music for voice, and they don't. And so that's a thing. If you have a solo... Well, how, how, would, how would you get around that? Would, you, would the recommendation be, if you're not sure, have some friends try and sing it? That could be one way. You know, if you had, you know, there's a difference. Uh, and you also want something that is going to have a certain, at this season of the year, a certain kind of um, traditional uh, delight to listening to it. So, you know, you're going to, if someone writes something that might be... that people can grab onto than if you did. Not so much. Right. So, you know, you're yeah, looking right. for something. And also, is it something that, what's the text going to be? Uh, some years... Do you, do you give them a text? No. They can choose their own text, but... Or, or write their own. Yes, could be that way too. Uh, but, you know, like one year someone gave us a text of a song about a piece of popcorn that was going to pop open on Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. um, not as successful you a text. You weren't looking for that. Maybe that and the vibra slap. That could be. I think there we're on to something. Um, so, yeah, what are the hallmarks when you're receiving or if you're, if you're coaching uh, future composers of Christmas carols, what are what are the hallmarks that they should be striving for which will add to the pantheon of, of successful carols? Well, if they've never composed a carol or if they've never written for voice, the first thing they have to do is go and study voice right. and study carols and look at, you know, look at a hundred carols and see why did these work? And based on that, give you an idea. Because one of the things about melody is that 
for most of the songs that people know, melodies are all what we call stepwise. They go up and down the scale. If you take something like Joy to the World, it just is down the scale. You know, that's very memorable and easy. The sing singable. Um, yes, exactly. Or if you took uh, a melody like the first Noel, it's up and down. Those kinds of things people can sing, it's easy for them to do, as opposed to if you had a melody like, you right. know, people would say, I can't sing that, and it's true, they can't. Right, and, and that may be a wonderful melody in a different context, yeah. but right. certainly not within the context of a, of a carol. Exactly. I see. And uh, what, are, what are the results of this year's uh, Christmas Carol Contest for Vocal Essence in uh, 2018? Well, this year, the instrument was the oboe, mm. and we had two winners. How, how many people, how many carols did you receive as submissions? It differs every year. It varies. Um, depending a lot on what the solo instrument is. Mm. I think this year we got about 75 entries. And from all over the country, all, all over the world? USA, all over. Mm. And so we got about that. Some years, uh, I think when the year we had flute, we maybe, got, we maybe had 130 entries. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it can vary a great deal. If and, it's and an instrument that's, uh, you know, I think we didn't get as many the year we did folk fiddle mm -hmm. because people weren't sure how to write for that instrument. Right. And, and how, well, in this context, how important is the oboe part? Is, or is it just that there is an oboe, or what, what do you... It needs to be an integral part of the piece, so that the piece can't exist without the solo instrument having a role to play in the piece. Mm. One year, when we did harp as the instrument, I remember we got one piece, and I began looking at it, and the first three pages, there was not one note for harp. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wondered, so where's the harp? And in the very last measure, the harp went. Oh, kind of a minimalist approach. Very minimal. That piece did not win. Yeah, but. yeah. So it's, it's about thinking of what makes an oboe integral to a carol. Right. And then figuring out a text, finding a text or writing a text. Mm -hmm. And then, t as you as you mentioned earlier, kind of looking at the world of carols and thinking what's a new, a newish, newer approach that can be written. Huh. And so you do people write, do people send in commissions every year to get people who repeat? Oh, yes. We've had, in fact, uh, the fellow who is one of the winners this year, uh, one I think uh, six, seven years ago, uh, mm -hmm. he was a winner. And so we don't say you can't do it again. Mm -hmm. uh, if it turns out that we think these are the two best mm -hmm. that we have, then that's okay. And and um, yeah, the judging process, is, is it, you, you're obviously receiving manuscripts. What happens is we have this program in collaboration with the American Composers Forum. Mm. So everyone sends their entry into the American Composers Forum. Uh, our friend and composer, Carrie John Franklin, does a first go-round mm -hmm. to find out, A, is it in terms of the time 
uh, is it appropriate? Is it um, the right instrument? Did somebody just forget about the oboe and right, write something? In which case, you don't you don't get so in. Then that's yeah. gone. Yeah. Um, is it? Uh, I mean, he, so he does a first go through yeah, and a first cut, weed out things, and then when we've narrowed it down, then Philip Schultz and I will look at what we have and uh, make a decision on a winner. And are you just looking at them? On a piece of paper talking in a room, or do you get in front of the piano and kind of go, no, I like this voicing, or how do you, what's that conversation like? Well, Philip looks at them himself. I'm not sure how he does it. Mm. I just look at them. I yeah. don't go to the piano because I can look at the music and hear it. So right. So I don't need to do that, that other step. And uh, so I just look at what, to me, looks like a really interesting carol, mm -hmm. original, looks like something that the singers would love to do and that the audience would enjoy listening to. Yeah. And and how often, so then you and Philip are looking at 50, 60 right. carols and then you get back together. How often are you, the, the two of you, like, this is the one and, and you're, you're both in agreement? And does that ever surprise you? I would say that in these last years that we've been doing it together, uh, often we've agreed on one. Mm. right away yeah and then the other one uh it might be that we each had a different choice i might have found one that had i thought an interesting text mm. and he might have found one that has something else going for it so right. you know and then we just have to kind of think about okay which one is is the stronger mm -hmm. entry and then the, the the carols that don't make it obviously it doesn't mean that they're 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 not worthy carols but uh what what could happen with those you've got hundreds of carols that have been written aside from the one with the pop well then you know and because the other thing is you it can't have been performed right before they send it so then they oftentimes they can take that carol that didn't win and get it back to their high school choir their college choir yeah. their church choir yeah. and uh, and or find a publisher i mean right. so you know they they not all of them, but many of them find a home somewhere else in right. the world. Do you have any favorites that have come out of the uh, the last 20 years of the Carroll Commissioning? Yes, uh, there have been a few. Uh, two that come to mind. One was a Carroll that was the year we did Folk Fiddle. Mm. And uh, it was, I don't know, It was. it had a kind of upbeat, kind of mm -hmm. part and it just resonated with everybody mm. with me and with everyone that was one and another was the year that it was harped and uh, it was a carol with the text earth bears a berry and it just again it was such a happy piece very well written for the harp and wonderful for the voices and it's one that we have um repeated uh in an in subsequently on another year in which we happen to have a harp in the orchestra and we thought well we can include this yeah, so, yeah. yeah.
have you gotten all of your your Christmas shopping done? Most. Yeah. Most. You kind of do your shopping throughout the year. You're one of those people. Oh yes. Yeah. You, you find, I find something. something and I go, oh, I know who this is for, mm-hmm. and I buy it and put it away. Yeah. So I would say, pretty much, it's it's finished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You you seem to like Christmas. I love Christmas. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have any anything you're looking forward to this year in terms of pieces or performances that that might occur? Well, I'm really looking forward to Welcome Christmas and the new piece that we commissioned from this uh, New York composer, Nico Yuli, mm. amazing composer. And he wrote a piece about 20 minutes in length for the ensemble singers with uh, a chamber orchestra. And it's a challenging piece to learn, but it's a great piece. And the singers have really um, done a wonderful job of working on it and uh, we look forward to now adding the orchestra to this and then look forward to welcoming the composer to come out to hear it. Well, thank you very much for another fine episode. Glad to do it. Yeah, we'll uh, catch up with you next time. Okay. All right, you want to play us out with the, what's your your favorite little uh, carol? My favorite little carol? What would be a good parting carol? Um, I don't know what we could maybe go out with. Uh...